Hello, you're listening to the Sydney Writers Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name is Valerie Koo and you can find us online at sydneywriterscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips and valuable ideas on how to get published. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Marie Giles' debut novel, Invisible Thread, is a semi-autobiographical account of life for a young girl in the Gunya Training School for Girls in 1970. Despite its sometimes harrowing story, it received rave reviews, and Marie has since written two more literary novels, The Past is a Secret Country and Under the Green Moon. Marie has worked as a journalist and editor for Parents Magazine, and in 1997, she won the She Magazine short story competition. She now writes regularly for publications in the UK, including The Guardian newspaper. She has also taught journalism and creative writing to students in England and Australia. Now living permanently in the UK, Marie will be visiting Australia in June to teach a writing course at the Sydney Writers' Centre. So thanks for joining us today, Marie. You're welcome. Now, tell us, when did you first realise you could write? Was it something that you always wanted to do when you were younger or was it something that developed later? Um, I think I probably became aware of it when I was in Parramatta Girls' Home for the first time um, because I found that um, writing poetry really helped me. Um, to get through that experience. Um, But, of course, I I didn't realise that I had any talent at that time. Um, It was just something that I felt I had to do um, to help me get through. Um, And then uh, after that, I went to New Zealand, and I think I realised over there for the first time that that's what I wanted to do. But I became a journalist, first of all, um, and the fiction writing didn't come till much later. And tell us a bit more about your time in Parramatta because a lot of your book The Invisible Thread is based on on some of your experiences there, is that right? Yes, that's right, it is. Um, well, when I was 16 I was arrested for living with my boyfriend. I'd left home um, because I didn't get along with my stepfather and the charge was being exposed to moral danger um, even though I was over the age of consent. Um, there was they, um, it's not so much that they were picking girls up for doing things like that willy-nilly. Um, it, it usually happened if your parents complained about it to the authorities. Um, and, I mean, now when when you think about it in hindsight, girls are doing that sort of thing all the time. They leave home quite young these days, some girls, and, you know, you're not arrested for it. I mean, it's not a crime or anything. Um uh, I mean, I do understand that it was quite young, but the punishment uh, was just completely ridiculous, um, in, in, you know, compared to, to what the, the so-called crime was. Mm. Um, so uh, the girls like myself were, were sentenced to Parramatta Girls' Home for six to nine months, and the punishment in that home uh, was very severe. Uh, the, the regime was rather harsh and uh, 
you know, they had cells there and dungeons and that kind of thing, and you could be locked up in, in uh, the dungeon for a very small misdemeanour, like talking out of turn, that that kind of thing. Um, I mean, the punishment didn't fit the crime at all, mm. and I, I don't consider that I committed a crime. I never have. Um, but the entire experience, it, it does leave scars, emotional scars, because you you end up feeling that you're a bad person, which is, you know, totally wrong, mm. um, but you don't really realise that until much later on. Mm. Um, yeah, when and, in hindsight and, yeah, with some maturity. <laughs> and how did you discover writing? How were you exposed to writing during that time? Well, we weren't allowed to write, in fact. Um, mm. I was just very lucky because they, they made me... I became the librarian, so I was in charge of that... that um, that job, and uh, that meant that I had access to pen and paper um, during that period of time once a week, so I was able to do some writing when I was um, sitting on my own in the library. But apart from that, um, if, if you were in the schoolroom, you were allowed pen and paper, but it was strictly for, for lessons, and then the only other time was on a Sunday when we were allowed to write one letter home, but it had to be to immediate family. So, in fact, I had to resort to writing... Um, poetry uh, illegally, if you like. <laughs> mm, mm. Um, you know, when when I could snatch a moment, and I did actually take pens from the library and paper. Um, but the officers found my poetry and tore it up. Mm. Um, so yeah, so it was quite difficult to to express yourself on paper, basically. Sure. Um, and the reason for that was because a lot of the girls, if they if they actually were able to get hold of a pen or a pencil, they would self-harm and um, and uh, mark their bodies, you know, with tattoos. Mm, mm. So it was quite difficult, yeah. <laughs> after after yeah. that experience, which would have been, you know, a very traumatic experience, and you said you've gone to New Zealand, how, why did you decide to go into journalism initially? Um, well, when I first went to New Zealand, the reason I went to New Zealand was to get away from the authorities after I was released from Parramatta. Um, mm. They were hounding me and determined to send me back to Parramatta or a similar institution for any minor thing. Um, for instance, if I'd stayed out past my curfew, which was 11 o'clock at night, um, mm. then they would have come down on me. So I went. To, I decided to go to New Zealand and start a new life. And I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. I got a job in an office when I first got there. I was living in the YMCA. Um, I, uh, I was still 16 at the time. I'd only just turned 16 when I was sent to Parramatta, so I was quite young to be to be doing this all, all on my own. I didn't know a soul in New Zealand. Mm. <clears throat> and then I decided to um, to become a psychiatric nurse. So I enrolled at the Pororua Hospital, which is just outside Wellington, and I started my training, but I quickly realised um, they threw me in at the deep end and I was on a ward with some very chronically ill patients. Um, and I quickly realised that there was, uh, well, it was another again, another institution like Parramatta where cruelty can take place be, behind locked doors. And mm. um, the cruelty that I witnessed there upset me terribly, so I resigned. Um, I did complain about the cruelty, and they told me more or less to, to, you know, to like it or lump it, so I decided to resign. And then I was thinking about what I could do next, and I thought, well, journalism. I think I must have seen an ad in the paper for a journalism course in Wellington. So 
so I enrolled on that, and that was um, a one-year course, and I, um, I gained my diploma in journalism there. Um, and uh, and then I moved to the South Island and got a job as a journalist down there on a newspaper. So it continued from there, basically. <laughs> and when did you then discover, uh, you know, literary writing? Oh, that came much later, much later. Uh, that came when I moved to England, um, and mainly after I had my first child, my son, um, in 1983, I started to become very interested in it. And well, I think one of the reasons for that is because there's such at that time there's, there was such a, he- a heavy influence on on writing over here. Lots of magazines that you could buy in in the, you know in the newspaper shops, that kind of thing. Writers' magazine, and uh, um, I don't remember ever coming across anything like that in New Zealand or Australia at that time. So that sort of um, prompted my interest in it and I devoured those magazines and started to build up a library of books and writing and started writing short stories and then in 1997 um, oh, I won the She Magazine short story competition and uh, that introduced me to my editor at Little Brown and I kept in touch with her and she asked me to write something longer, which I did, um, and I chose to write Invisible Thread. It seemed the obvious Mm -hmm. choice to start with because I'd always wanted to write about that experience and it came easy to me. Mm -hmm. And was it difficult, though? Because you've left it behind for so long and then you're revisiting it after all those years? Yes, I had, well, yes, nearly a 30-year gap. Um, It was difficult. I I did cry a lot when I wrote the book, but... Um, I didn't write just about my own experience and, and the experience of other girls uh, at Parramatta. Um, I chose to include the story of the um, stolen white baby generation, which is about a, a huge adoption scam in Australia, um, similar to, to to what happened over here in Britain and, and in New Zealand and South Africa, where um, newborn babies were taken at the point of birth and... Um, stolen from their mother and um, handed over to the adoption market, which was thriving at the time. Um, so it was uh, it was something that was um, it was a scheme that was being run illegally by all the all the authorities. Everybody was involved: doctors, nurses, social workers, nuns, you know, the clergy. So. Mm. It's a harrowing um, account on so many fronts, personally and also other aspects of the story. Um, did that weigh heavily on you during the writing as well as after? Could you, you know, shake it off eventually? Um, well, it's really interesting. That's an interesting question because I actually didn't think very much about Parramatta after I came out and went to New Zealand. I really just put it out of my mind as much as I could. Um, and it wasn't until I started writing it that I realised the incredibly deep effect that it had on me as a person and on my life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I was aware that I had to take pretty drastic me- measures and leave Australia um, because I didn't want to be locked up again. Um, but the, the sense of feeling like a bad person, I didn't realise how, how much that had affected me. Um, and and that and that's one of their goals, really, to make you feel like that, to humiliate you. 
And when that happens to you at such an age, young age, it does stay with you. So yes, when I was writing the book, a lot of things came to the surface, a lot of emotions, a lot of anger. Um, but I wrote the book in total isolation, not knowing that um, anybody else, well, thinking that nobody else would care about it, actually. And I think that's probably one of the reasons I decided to include the story about the stolen white baby adoption scam. Um, because I felt that people would be more interested in that. I really honestly thought nobody would care about what had gone on at Parramatta. Um, and it's only since I've written the book and it's been published that uh, other people have come forward. They now have some of the other girls have come forward and, and joined a group, a support group, and they have a website. Um, Alana Valentine, the Sydney playwright, wrote a, wrote a play called Parramatta Girls. It was on at the Bellbus. Belvoir Street Theatre um, in Sydney a couple of years ago, and that was um, that received a lot of publicity. So yeah, a lot of a lot of stuff has come out now. Um, but when I wrote the book, it was in total isolation, so it was quite painful, and I was really afraid of repercussions. So I renamed the institution Gunya Training School mm. for Girls because I, I didn't want anybody coming after me, basically. <laughs> Um, Was it a therapeutic experience, the writing process? Um, well, in terms of things coming to the surface, no, it was very painful. Um, mm. And it hasn't really laid any any of the ghosts to rest. I'm more aware of it now than I ever was, um, and especially since I've been in contact with the girls and I've actually gone back to Parramatta and seen the place and taken photographs and I've been back there three times now. Um, so I know it, it, it's not it's not really therapeutic. I think it's something that that, that is, will always be with me. I just don't think mm. it's part of me. It, it, and I know that it only seems like a short time of you know a short span of time to to a lot of people. You know, nine months um, is nothing in comparison to your your entire life. But it it, it was a very powerful experience. For um, sure. So that your next two books, The Past is a Secret Country and yeah. Under the Green Moon, tell us where you got the inspiration and ideas for those books. Well, Under the Green Moon came after Invisible Thread and um, I set it in Botany, in the Botany Bay area because that's where my mother and my grandparents lived for many years during the 1930s and uh, they were hairdressers and... My mum was just a little girl at the time, um, and I was just really interested in her stories of the area when there, were, there was nothing but sand dunes there. And I was very interested in the fact that there was an Aboriginal commu community nearby, and I wanted to try and write something about that. Uh, so that's, that's where the idea started, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the other one? Um, the past is a secret country. Um, that's also drawing on my ancestors. Um, my great-great-grandmother and her husband um, were en route back to England and their ship was um, wrecked off the Gulf of Carpentaria. And they, mm. they both drowned and they were washed ashore and her long hair was wrapped around his body. It was quite romantic, really. Some of the images um, mm. yeah, were, I found really inspiring. Um, so that, that's where that story sort of began. 
So you've got a lot of your ideas based on your life experience or the life experience of your family. Yeah. How have you researched things that happened, you know, even before you were born? Um, oh, well, I've been to lots of museums. I've, uh, for, the, for the past as a secret country, um, I had to research shipwrecks along the, uh, the coast of um, New South Wales and Queensland. Um, there used to be hundreds of shipwrecks because the waters weren't chartered in those days. Um, so I went to um, the Maritime Museum in Port Macquarie, which is near where my mum lives, so that was helpful. I did a lot of research at the British Library and um, the State Library in Sydney, and um, just lots of lots of reading. I've got a, a really good um, collection of books in my own library here at home, and uh, and the internet. <laughs> I got a lot yes. of, a lot of information off the internet. <laughs> Now, some writers love the researching process and others think it's a necessary evil and hate it. Mm. <laughs> what, how do you feel about it? Um, well, you know, I, I did a course with um, Robert McKee a couple of years ago. He, mm -hmm. he, um, he lectures on, um, on uh, script writing, film. film, yes. And uh, I, I, won, I won a course, a three-day course with him here in London which was brilliant, and his advice on that is that you have to research a book. Um, if you start with research, then everything else falls into place, and I, I really uh, I do agree with his philosophy um, regarding that. Uh, I don't think I could sit down and just starting a book, start writing a book off the top of my head without any mm. of the background details. Um, and, and for me, that's what brings a, a story to life, really. Apart from the characters, I mean the characters are, you know, obviously the most important part of the book. But the, the details bring it to life. Mm. And so, are you working on a book at the moment? I am. Yes, yes. I've got mm -hmm. several ideas on the on the go, but I've chosen one that has um, has really got me very excited, and it's um, it's set in the um, in the forests of Victoria during the late 1800s, early 1900s, and it's also set in Russia, so I've got the two connect connections there. Um, mm. And I, I'm very interested in Russia and Russian poetry and Russian literature, so I'm trying to combine the two. <laughs> and tell us then what your typical writing day looks like. Do you have a routine? Is there some ritual you need to do in the morning? Oh, what what yes. happens? A cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> I always have to have a cup of tea next to me. And, okay. um Yeah, when I'm in the middle of writing and all the research is done, um, I will just sit um, and, and write for six to seven hours non-stop, almost, mm. except for getting up and down for a cup of, cup of tea now and then. <laughs> <laughs> um, but obviously when I'm researching, that's different, and um, that will take me to all sorts of different places. Um, so, yeah, so but a typical day, I'm quite... I'm quite disciplined in that way. Um, possibly the self-discipline comes from being locked up in Parramatta. I don't know, but but I definitely have, you know, what's what it takes to to sit down and get on with the job. And I do think of it as a job as well. Mm. So after after you've done your research, though, how long do you think? How do you expect that your next book is going to take you for your first draft? Um. Well, anything between three to six months, I should mm. think, yes, yeah, but that can vary, um, 
Yeah, I mean, sometimes as you're writing, you find that you you need more f- further to do further research, so that can hold things up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, with this this book that I'm working on at the moment, there's going to be a lot of research, and I'm hoping to go to Russia as well. Um, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> Why the interest in Russia? Well, my partner actually he he um, he got me interested in it. I I didn't really know anything about Russian literature until we met 15 years ago, and he has a huge library of books um, on Russian literature, and that that sparked an interest, and I'm really passionate about it now. Well, it's a great excuse to go travelling, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Need to do a bit of research. Yes. (laughs) Now, you're also a writing teacher in the UK and in Australia. Tell me, why do you enjoy teaching writing? Um, Well, it's... um... I think it's important to connect with people, and that that's um that's something that comes through research as well, speaking to people and getting out and about. Um, and I I just think it's really important for me to um to share what I've learned. Um, mm. I, you know, I don't mean it in a sort of do good away, um, because obviously it brings an income in as well for me. But I just do enjoy meeting people and and talking about writing and sharing my knowledge. And I learn from the experience as well. Um, so I, I, I think it's a, a more. I see it more of an more as an exchange of ideas rather than me teaching them. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's it's just um, a really great way of communicating ideas about and writing. And if people come to your writing courses, what can they expect? Um, for a example, friendly, a friendly for example. Friend. <laughs> Apart from a friendly face, for example, you're teaching Hook Your Reader at the Sydney Writers' Centre, which yes. is a five-week course on how to keep your reader riveted, you know, to yes. keep them yes. turning the page and really keep them engaged in the, yes. in the story. What can, what can people expect if they, when they're coming to that course? Um, well, there'll be uh, – I'd like to try and um, to, to mix things up a little bit rather than me standing up in front of everybody and just talking in a dry sort of way um, about how to achieve um, a good opening in in a book um, or a short story. Um, there'll be a little bit of, of that, um, but then there'll be lots of exercises and then um, we'll be discussing uh, what, what everybody writes and talking about that and just throwing out ideas and I'll be making suggestions and... And just, you know, seeing what what we can come up with, basically. Um, I try to make it fun and, um, you know, to encourage people's confidence in their work as well. I think that's really important. So you have to be a very good listener as a teacher. And that can be difficult sometimes because not everybody writes well. Um, But I do believe that you can teach the craft of writing most definitely, mm. but I, I I do think there has to be some talent there um, mm. to start with, to work with. Because one of the most important things with writing, with improving writing, is the actual doing, isn't it? It's so important to actually um, to actually get, get feedback on your writing as opposed to sit there and listen to theory. Yeah, that's right. I think, that, you know, the, the old adage, the seat of the pants on the seat of the chair, is, uh, <laughs> is so true. You... you you know, a lot of people are frightened of the, of the blank page and, uh, you know, on the typewriter or on the piece of paper. And 
the thing is you just have to, to get down to it, just start riding. And I've got a lot of exercises that loosen people up in that way and most people, I think, like to write about themselves and about their emotions. So I've got mm. a series of exercises that we can do to loosen people up. And you just keep writing, basically, um, because for me, writing is all about rewriting. It's all about going back and editing and uh, and reworking you know, and changing things around and adding things and taking things away. It's a, it's like a puzzle, really. Mm. Um, and I, I think you, you just have to have enormous patience and and understand that it's a long, drawn-out process. It doesn't happen overnight. You can't expect to have a perfect first draft, first time. And um, paint, paint us a picture in, say, you know, five years. Where would you like to be with your writing and your life generally? <laughs> Um, well, my plan at the moment is to continue writing. I have about five ideas for, for different novels um, that I want to complete in the next um, so many years, ten years. Um, but my ultimate goal is to run a writer's centre similar to yours, but in France. And it would be a Wonderful. residential... Yes, a residential writer's centre in France. That's my dream. Um, and my partner and I are working towards that at the moment. Um, but it's still still quite a way off. <laughs> That's exciting. You must join yeah. us in October for, for our Writing in Paris tour. Oh, yes. I, I, did, I did hear about that. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. And, and finally, what would your advice be to people who are listening to this interview and they, they really want to get started as a writer? They'd really love to write novels just like you. Um, well, as I just said, I think you have to sit down and just start start typing, start writing. Um, and for me, I've, I've got a huge library now of, of books on writing and that has really helped me. But apart from that, I think you need to read. You need to read a lot um, and that, that is the best way. And the, and the books that you enjoy reading are probably going to be the books that you enjoy writing. Um, mm. I, for me, I don't like um, reading commercial books. I prefer a more literary sort of genre. Um, so that's that's the genre that I naturally feel comfortable with when I write. Um, so yeah, that's my that's my advice. Just just sit down, start start writing, and keep reading. <laughs> read, 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 and write, yeah. write, write. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Marie. Oh, you're welcome, Valerie. Thank you. You've been listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online, including details about our courses, seminars and online learning, as well as information on our regular competitions where you can win books, movie tickets and literary experiences at www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au or visit me on my personal website, www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au ValerieKoo.com. That's ValerieKoo, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.